0: Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. This is the word of the Lord. It is eternally true. Then Samuel died, and all Israel gathered together and mourned for him and buried him at his house in Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. Now there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel, and the man was very rich, and he had 3,000 sheep and a 1,000 goats, and it came about while he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the man's name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail, and the woman was intelligent and beautiful in appearance, but the man was harsh and evil in his dealings, and he was a Calebite. That David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel, visit Nabal, and greet him in my name. And thus you shall say, Have a long life. Peace be to you, and peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. Now I have heard that you have shearers. Now your shepherds have been with us, and we have not insulted them, nor have they missed anything all the days they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we have come on a festive day. Please give whatever you find at your hand to your servants and to your son David. When David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal, according to all these words in David's name, and they waited. But Nabal's answer, but Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David? And who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants today who are each breaking away from his master, Shall I then take my bread and my water and my meat that I have slaughtered for my shears and give it to men whose origin I do not know? So David's young men retraced their way and went back. And they came and told him according to all these words. David said to his men, each of you gird on his sword. So each man girded on his sword. And David also girded on his sword, and about 400 men went up behind David, while 200 stayed with the baggage. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Behold, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he scorned them. Yet the men were very good to us, and we were not insulted, nor did we miss anything, as long as we went about with them while we were in the fields. They were a wall to us, both by night and by day. "'All the time we were with them tending the sheep. "'Now therefore know and consider what you should do, "'for evil is plotted against our master "'and against all his household. "'And he is such a worthless man "'that no one will speak to him, "'that no one can speak to him. "'Then Abigail hurried and took 200 loaves of bread "'and two jugs of wine and five sheep already prepared "'and five measures of roasted grain "'and a 100 clusters of raisins and 200 cakes of figs "'and loaded them on donkeys.' She said to her young men, go on before me, behold, I am coming after you. But she did not tell her husband, Nabal. It came about as she was riding on her donkey and coming down by the hidden part of the mountain that behold, David and his men were coming down toward her. So she met them. Now, David had said, surely in vain, I have guarded all that this man has in the wilderness so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him. And he has returned me evil for good. May God do so to the enemies of David, and more also, if by morning I leave as much as one male of any who belong to him. When Abigail saw David, she hurried and dismounted from her donkey and fell on her face before David and bowed herself to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my Lord, be the blame. And please let your maidservant speak to you and listen to the words of your maidservant. Please do not let my Lord pay attention to this worthless man, Nabal. For as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, since the Lord has restrained you from shedding blood, and from avenging yourself by your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek evil against my Lord be as Nabal. Now let this gift which your maidservant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who accompany my Lord. Please forgive the transgression of your maidservant. For the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil will not be found in you all your days. Should anyone rise up to pursue you and to seek your life, then the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God, but the lives of your enemies he will sling out as from the hollow of a sling. And when the Lord does for my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you, and appoints you ruler over Israel, this will not cause grief or a troubled heart to my Lord, both by having shed blood without cause, and by my Lord having avenged himself. When the Lord deals well with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. And David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me, and blessed be your discernment, and blessed be you who have kept me this day from bloodshed and from avenging myself by my own hand. Nevertheless, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has restrained me from harming you, unless you you had come quickly to meet me, surely there would not have been left to Nabal until the morning light as much as one male. So David received from her hand what she had brought him and said to her, Go up to your house in peace. See, I have listened to you and granted your request. Then Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he was holding a feast in his house, like the feast of a king, and Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. So she did not tell him anything at all until the morning light. But in the morning, when the wine had gone out of Nabal, His wife told him these things, and his heart died within him so that he became as a stone. About ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord who has pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal and has kept back his servant from evil. The Lord has also returned the evil doing of Nabal on his own head. Then David sent a proposal to Abigail to take her as his wife. When the servants of David came to Abigail at Carmel, they spoke to her, saying, David has sent us to you to take you as his wife. She rose and bowed her face to the ground and said, Behold, your maidservant is a maid to wash the feet of my Lord's servants. Then Abigail quickly arose and rode on a donkey with her five maidens who attended her, and she followed the messengers of David and became his wife. David had also taken Ahinoam, of Jezreel, and they both became his wives. Now Saul had given Michael, his daughter, David's wife, to Palti, the son of Laish, who was from Galim. This is the word of the Lord. Be seated. All right, so last time we, I mentioned to you that, ver, that chapters 24, 25, and 26 hang together these are um, David being tested by his enemies in different ways. Um, Saul is in 24 and 26, and then we have this chapter about Nabal and and Abigail in between there. In the last chapter, you remember that uh, David and his men were in, in a cave, and Saul comes in to relieve himself, and David <clears throat> um, cuts off the edge of his robe, which was an which was a, a symbolic act of of um of warfare, really, a symbolic act of warfare where he was declaring that Saul was no longer king and he was taking the kingship for himself by cutting off that. But after that he repents and says that in his conscience bothers him uh concerning that that evil that he had done. He repents. Saul responds with remorse, right? Not with repentance, but with remorse. And, um, and we learn much in that chapter about David's unwillingness to take vengeance against his enemies, right? And to leave room for the wrath of God. Um, that's really what, what we learned. Saul had already tried to kill him multiple times, uh, had chased him all through the countryside, right? And, and yet David could have killed him and does not. And um, he does not take vengeance at that point into his hands, and then in the the beginning of 25, we get one one little unremarkable verse about Samuel dying. This is the prophet that, that we spent much time at the beginning of this book looking into. And here it just says, then Samuel died. And all Israel gathered together and mourned him. And life goes on, right? The prophet dies and other prophets will come along. Um, <clears throat> David is now without, though... Is without the guidance of Samuel, David is now on his own without uh, Samuel guiding him. But again, we get uh, not much death about about Samuel. Um, God's kingdom and God's church goes on despite personalities. Right? The the great prophet Samuel can die, and and it doesn't thwart the the plans of God. It doesn't change. Uh, uh, anything. Everybody is expendable or replaceable, um, and so uh, don't think too highly of yourselves or more highly than you ought. And then enter Nabel. In Hebrew, literally, this his name means fool. You probably are aware of that. Um, so we're this is Abigail and her fool. Um, as his name is, so is his character, as uh, is said later. What do we know about Nabal? He's rich. He's very rich, the text says. He's very rich. He has 3,000 sheep. He has 1,000 goats. He is harsh and evil in his dealings. He is not a patient man. He's, um, he's hard. And um, he's a Calebite. He's descended from that, you know, you remember Caleb. He's descended from the great, um, the great champion, right, who took the uh, giants in the land. And, uh, and so um, that's his stock. But he's a fool, he's a rich fool, and he's a rich, evil, hard fool. That's what we learn about him. And then we, we meet Abigail. And what it says about Abigail is she's, an, she's intelligent and beautiful. Intelligent and beautiful. So the, the rich man got his prize, right? <laughs> the rich man got his uh, trophy wife. Um, but she's not just a trophy wife, she's uh, intelligent, right? She's beautiful and intelligent. David approaches Nabal for provisions. And this is the whole situation. David has 600 men with him, and, and it's a constant problem that he's got to take care of, um, how to feed his his men, how to feed his troops. And so David approaches Nabal for provisions for his men. Um, what had David's men done for, for Nabal? What had they done? They had taken care of Nabal's shepherds, right? protected them by night and by day, it says. And so this is not as if David's coming along and asking for something that he hasn't, in a sense, earned. He's been a wall, it says, to these, to these uh, flocks and to these men. And so David has been serving them. Even as Saul's been chasing him, um, David has protected Nabal's um, wealth. And so David approaches and asks for some and what is Nabal's answer? <clears throat> who is David? Does da- does um does Nabal know who David is? Yeah. He's notorious. The people are already singing, you know, Saul has slain his thousands and David has slain his 10,000s. His reputation is 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 known. And so this is a a slight, right? This is Nabal's acting evil and harsh. Who's David? And then what does he call him? He calls him the son of Jesse. Who's the son of Jesse? Sort of as as an insult, you know, the youngest son of Jesse, just a member of this tiny little household, um, nowhere. Um, David's flocks were probably not as large as Nabal's. And so he insults him by calling him the son of Jesse, just as Saul had previously done, um, calling him the son of Jesse. Um, He also says, there are many servants today who are each breaking away from his master. You know, in other other words, David's just a rebel. He's just a rebel. He's breaking away from his master. He's on the run because he's evil. Um, And so he's, uh, Nabal is... um, insulting him and then we get this uh, verse 11 which is filled with the word my and i shall i then take my bread and my water and my meat that i have slaughtered from my shears and give it to men whose origin i do not know so it's it's his bread right he's saying mine 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 all of this is mine and i'm not going to give it to you his self-centeredness is is certainly on display So David's men report back to him and David says, gird on your swords. Gird on your swords. We're going to take care of all of his men. We're going to go kill them all. Gird on your swords. Each of you gird on his sword. 400 men then show up um, to Nabal's uh, doorstep. Now contrast this with the previous pastor. I mean, the previous passage. Think about it. He's not willing to lay hand on the Lord's anointed. But now David is tempted to lay hands on a nobody. Right? Nabal's nothing. Nabal's nothing compared to the king and compared to King Saul. And so the temptation that was on him in the previous chapter is on him again. In this chapter, the temptation to take matters into his own hand. And this this time he gets as far as as girding on his own sword and asking his men to gird on his sword. What did he do with his men in the previous chapter? Remember, he he cussed them out, basically. He, He yelled at them vehemently, saying, don't take matters into your own hand. You can't kill Saul. So David ends up protecting Saul from his men. And now, when it's Nabal, this fool, David's perfectly willing to stir up his men toward violence. Okay, so think of that contrast. In chapter 24, David is the restrainer. He will not harm Saul himself or permit his men to do so, but in chapter 25, David has to be restrained. Right, he's bent on spilling Nabal's blood and that of his of Nabal's men because of Nabal's affront. Right, he's insulted him. Who is this David? Um, he refuses... Uh, to harm the anointed king but is but is most willing to to uh, deal with just a private Israelite now Nabal's men then and this is a significant part of this passage and one that we overlook, but one of the young men told Nat, Abigail, one young man goes and tells Abigail, I mean he must know that Abigail is trustworthy. Right, But that one young man ends up saving this, in a sense, saving the kingdom. Because if David had shed innocent blood here, as he will later, before he was king, then the kingdom would have been ruined from the outset. And so this one young man, this one servant, goes and tells Abigail, does this good deed. Just think of your yourself in that situation. You probably would have hesitated to say anything letting the men um, deal with this. But it was right for this, this man to go and tell his wife Abigail. And what does he go and tell? He just goes and tells her the truth. Behold, um, David came here, Nabal scorned him, and yet these guys have been great to us. These guys have protected us, they've been a wall to us, and so Nabal's response is foolish, right? And so that's all he does. And then Abigail, Abigail, wise, intelligent, and beautiful Abigail, does what? Provisions, David. She gets all that she can, right? She finds all that tasty food. Um, the um, 200 loaves of bread. Two jugs of wine, five sheep already prepared, five measures of roasted grain, a hundred clusters of raisins, two cakes, 200 cakes of figs, loads them on donkeys, says to her young men, her, her servants, go on ahead of me, I'm coming after you. But she didn't do what? Why didn't she tell Nabal? It's her husband. Isn't she supposed to submit to her husband? Right? Not when he's doing evil. That's exactly right. Right? Nabal would have, would have continued to scorn David. And Nabal would have destroyed his household. Right? And so Abigail, when her husband is doing evil, takes matters into her own hands as she should. David says, um, so Abigail does this, does not tell her husband, and she goes up to meet with David. That's a risky thing to do. David's bloodthirsty, right? David and 400 men are ready to attack, and Abigail goes up there with a few servants, taking taking matters into her own hand, and yet there's great risk for her. Um, And David says to her, look, he returned evil for good. He's going to die now. And you gotta in some sense you have to respect David for his his manliness. Right? He scorned me. I'm gonna take matters into his I'm gonna I'm gonna kill him. And yet that is not that's not respectable, right? That's not godliness. David says he returned evil for good, he's gonna now die, and all his men. And so Abigail then dismounts, and what does she do? What's the first thing that she does? She what? She falls on her face, right? Uh, She fell at his feet. So she dismounts from her donkey and falls at David's feet. Very humble, um, pleading posture, right? And she humbles herself before David, and then her first words are quite... Uh, astonishing she then accepts responsibility for her husband's foolishness right look at this on me alone my lord be the blame has has she done anything to to bring this on no she's not um, other than being married to a fool right She, she but she takes this on and says look On me comes the blame. Let me talk to you. And she she appeals to David's what? To David's conscience. She appeals to David's conscience. The Lord has restrained you from shedding blood and avenging yourself by your own hand. She says that. The Lord, God, has kept you from avenging yourself. And so she's trying to get to David's conscience, saying, look, if you are to go forward with this, you're going to be taking innocent blood and you're going to be avenging yourself by your own hand. Let God deal with your enemies. Let God deal with your enemies, right? That's what she's doing. She, in a in sense, she's, she becomes a prophet, a prophetess, right? Because she's prophesying even now and she doesn't know it about her husband's death that's coming. Verses 30 to 31. And when the Lord does for my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and appoints you ruler over Israel, this will not cause grief or a troubled heart to my Lord. She's calling David my Lord. Both by having shed blood without cause and by the Lord having avenged himself. So, Think about that for a second. She's saying, she's telling David that sin has long-lived consequences, right? If you do this, you're going to enter the kingdom, you're going to enter the kingship with this on your conscience. And if you don't think that that's going to affect the way that you lead, you don't know anything about sin, right? Sin and dealing with a guilty conscience is often what motivates the actions of people. Now, if David had done this, you know, perhaps, um, perhaps his his sin would have affected the kingdom even earlier than it did. Now, what does David end up doing later in his life? He ends up shedding innocent blood, right? He ends up killing Uriah through others. Right, and committing adultery with Bathsheba now, in a sense, and as we get there, and we'll continue into second Samuel, you know in three years from now when we get there, um, his his utility as a king comes to an end when he commits adultery and and sheds blood of Uriah. Um, at that point, the kingdom is transitioning towards Solomon and um, David. Um, David is an older man. But just think, uh, from that point, think of David's household. Think of David's kingdom. It's one of bloodshed. It's continuous bloodshed. His own sons are against him. Um, you, can't, you can't run the kingdom if the sons, the princes, are trying to kill the king. Right? Um, what does David refuse to do from that point on? He refuses to discipline his sons. And they become like Eli. Eli. You know, they become like Eli's sons, just an affliction to Israel. And so a bloodshed, that shedding of innocent blood affects his entire household. But think if David had done it here, before he's king. His whole his whole king kingship would have been one of dealing with that bloodshed. And it is Abigail's intercession here by the mercy of God and by God's providence that keeps him from that bloodshed. And that just makes you. It makes you stop and think of the times when, when God brought somebody into your life that restrained you, right? That kept you from doing evil, that kept you from um, going after your own flesh in ways, right? Um, those mercies of the Lord. But then there are times when when we've sinned, right, and and the way to deal with the, the conscience is to repent not to act in other sin right not to further sin by sin but it's to repent and to and to lay those sins at the foot of the cross right and to trust in god and um and to be reconciled and to do that work and so um david was quick to repent after after he um sinned uh by killing Uriah and committing adultery, he was quick to repent, but the consequences of that sin continued on in his household, right? Um, Better not to have sinned than to sin and repent. Even still worse to sin and then try to deal with your conscience through. Proverbs 23 makes a big point about alcohol, (laughs) right? Right? Alcohol is 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 to numb our conscience, right? That's why we we um, drink is to numb the conscience, and so um, that's the worst possible situation is to not go to God with a guilty conscience. Um, but better still is to be godly. Better still is to avoid sin entirely, and then the consequences don't come with it. Now, how does David respond? He repents. <laughs> He's like, praise God, you kept me from shedding innocent blood. You, sh- you kept me from this. Blessed is your discernment. He tells Abigail that she has discernment. Right? She saw this whole situation when Nabal didn't, when David didn't even see the whole situation. She sees the whole thing and says, and, and he blesses her for her discernment. You have kept me from sin. If you hadn't, Nabal and his men would be done and the kingdom would be uh, weaker. And then he tells her um, to go in peace. And so Abigail serves as a roadblock to David's sin. She stands in between David and his sin and between Nabal and his sin. She's like a double roadblock here, right? She's, she's protecting her husband, but she's also protecting David um, from sin. Um, a roadblock to sin. That is the role of a wife. For a husband, often, should be. Um, Abigail was a roadblock to sin. A wife must often be an Abigail, right? We need Abigails. We need, when we're evil, our wives need to stand up and say, you're evil. You're acting evil. You need to stop. God will not be glorified by this. And I will have to deal with the consequences, as will you. And so... um, Notice though that she does this act of interceding in a very um, fe- with a lot of feminine deference, even still she bows to david she I mean look how many times in that passage where she speaks where she says, "My lord it 's like "Lord, Lord, lord, lord it 's the most frequent word in there, and so she 's still being deferent and feminine in that it 's not as if she girds on a sword and goes to David to fight with him. No, she uses words and actions and kindness, right? Bringing food. She she uses kindness. So Abigail then goes to Nabal. And what's Nabal doing? Going crazy. It says he's feasting like a king, right? He he's feasting, he's drunk. She tells him And it's interesting that his heart of flesh is changed to a heart of stone, right? The opposite of conversion, right? Where you go from stone to flesh. His flesh goes to stone. His heart dies within him. Um, Suddenly, he realizes that what what his actions would have led to if Abigail hadn't interceded on his behalf. And ten days later then, God kills him. Ten days later, God kills Nabal. And and you think about that. David didn't have to wait long for God to take matters into his own hands. He relinquished control of this. He did not shed innocent blood. He didn't shed blood by his own hands. And then God, ten days later, takes Nabal out of the way. And no longer is he the head of that household. He, um, and so God, God, um, God blesses David in this sense um, and takes this man out of his way um, directly. David, David then, um, David then sins by taking Abigail as his wife, right? He's begun multiplying wives, hasn't he? Um, He's already had uh, Michael. He's already married Ahinoam. And now he marries Abigail. And um, this is contrary to the law. This is contrary to to the law. It's contrary to God's word. By the time he is king, he has six sons by um, different women. All by different women. Um, 2 Samuel 3, verses 2-5 to talk about that. And... um, this becomes his habit. So when temptation comes upon David later with Uriah and Bathsheba, he already has a habit of multiplying wives. So Bathsheba is just another in the long list of wives and women that he's uh, surrounded himself with. This is sin. This is, um, this is David's sin. And David's sons do what? They follow his example, right? Um, they're, they're not... Um, Good men, when it comes to uh, loving women, and so they follow. They follow David in this. So we we don't um, we don't have to read these passages where where we um, think upon the great men and women of the faith, and somehow um, come away from it w- with them having committed no sins. We know that Scripture rehearses the sins of the saints, and in a sense, it should encourage us, right? Because we sin, and we and we see even the most preeminent examples in Scripture, the man after God's own heart sinning in this way. And this is an example of that. David should not have done this. And how bad does it get with his sons? Well, think of Solomon. Think of Solomon. How many wives and concubines did he have up into the uh the four digits? Right? And what did they do? They dragged his heart after other gods, right? Every one of the gods that they brought into his household, he became a worshiper of. And so it led to his idolatry and his split heart before the Lord. And so um, this is where David is a bad example to his sons. So a summary of this. What do we learn from this passage? God used Abigail to, to correct... Um, the folly of Nabal and to restrain the sin of David. Right? And so, in that sense, Abigail's an example to all of us. We should step into situations where we know somebody is headed for sin and warn them about their folly and intercede. That includes and especially includes wives with husbands. Wives, intercede where your husbands are being foolish. Um, cover cover sin by love, right? Cover sins by your love. Um, Abigail uh, does so. Restrain sin by discernment, by counsel, by action, right? Um, wishful thinking will not restrain sin. Sometimes you have to get up, get on the donkey, bring the provisions, and go have a conversation with a man who's set on, killing everybody who's male around him, (laughs) right? And so um, God will protect you. God will protect you. God will give you discernment. God will um, allow your words to resonate with those you're speaking to, and um, we have to take action. Yes, pray, but often prayer is not enough. Often God has made it clear to us that we must act, and we just choose to pray so that we don't have to act. God says, pray and act, you know, um, pray as you are leaving to go um, counsel. Um, the other thing we see is the good and bad of David. Um, he's quick to repent, but also tempted to be impetuous. David is tempted uh, in this passage, in the previous passage, to take matters into his own hand. And um, what does it mean to be impetuous? What does impetuous mean? Yeah, to act without thinking. You ever act without thinking? Ever act impetuously? Um, Absolutely. Uh, That's why things get broken around your house, right? (laughs) I'm going to fix this. Bam. You go into it without thinking and you make a mess out of something, right? Um, David was tempted in that way um, to act. uh, Certainly here, this is where he's being pushed um, to act impetuously. So stop and think also. Give a care. Um, give thought to what you're doing and then act. And then, obviously, in these passages, we continue seeing the providential care of God. God God is, God cares for you. God cares for David, doesn't he? How do we see God's care for David in this passage? Abigail comes along and keeps him from committing sin. Right? God cares for you in the same way as that. He's going to send those who keep you from sin and you should thank God. God for them. You should thank God for those who are willing to stick their own necks out in order to protect you from your sin. Husbands, you should be that for your wives. Fathers, mothers, you should be that for your children. Wives, you should be that for your husbands. Members of the church toward other members. Look, I see you headed this way. Look, you know, I've been in this situation and and you probably shouldn't go that way. We have to be willing to love one another in that sense. Love with words and actions, not just with, "Ah, so how you doing? You know, I mean, do the pleasantries, but let's care for one another in a deeper sense, like Abigail cared for those around him. This is a rich passage. There are a lot more applications and thoughts that that you probably have that my um, brain didn't get to. But those are the things in this passage that stuck out to me. Remember the example of Abigail, remember God's providence, and, um, and trust Him. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for feeding us again. Thank You for uh, training us in righteousness. Lord, we thank You for the restraints that You brought to, to David through Abigail. Father, I pray that we would be uh, in the same position as Abigail, that we would uh, care for the actions of those around us, that we wouldn't just look on others and see them sin and think, well, it wasn't me, but that we would be concerned, that we would want to uh, see our brothers and sisters doing well, doing good works, doing things that glorify you. And so I pray that we we would intercede. Father, we thank you that that this passage also teaches us that you will, in the end, vanquish all of our enemies. That we don't need to take matters into our own hands, that we, we don't even need to get upset. Because your justice will be a pure justice. You will deal with yours and our enemies, and it will, it will be the end of all strife. And so we thank you for this. I pray that we would, by this, learn to not take vengeance into our own hands, but that we would leave room for your wrath. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.